Good morning. Will you stand with us? We have a bunch still out there floating around in the lobby looking at our C group fair, but we're going to go ahead and start and sing. We have a soul on fire. Thank you so much, worship team. Aren't they awesome? Man, way to get us kicked off this Sunday morning. How is everyone doing, Kavanaugh? Doing good? Can I get a thumbs up? At least, at least know you're awake and doing all right? Great. Hey, I think generally this, is, this could go sour bringing up this subject, but I think we're okay today. Everyone's college football team won yesterday, or at least the ones that mattered, right? Good, good. All right, some of you aren't watching college football. All right, it's good. Hey, Arkansas won. Uh, great, great weekend. It's good. But what's even more exciting is that we're here together as a church family celebrating Jesus today. Um, and I can't think of a better place to be. Um, and again, so thankful to have you here. And uh, we just want to welcome you this morning. Those online, thank you so much for tuning in. We love you just as much. If you are a guest this morning, uh, thank you so much for joining us. In the chair back in front of you is a little Connect card. Uh, we would love for you to fill that out and um, give it to us right after service back here at this little table. Um, there's a lot of tables in the lobby, but the first one here, right out these doors, we want to be able to tell you a lot about our church and get to know your family and, um, and be able to connect with you and see where we can plug you in at and uh, where we, you could 
fellowship and flourishing community here at our church. But it's so good to see you all. And again, we've been praying for you this week that God just really shows up in this place and that your encounter with him is really unique and special this week. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to ask his anointing on our services today. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get going. And uh, it's, again, it's great to see you all. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and again, thank you so much for bringing us back together on this weekend, God. I know we got so much going on, and our, our plates are full, and our schedules are packed, God, but to take time out for you today, to be able to come together as the body of Christ, to fellowship, to have community, to be able to worship, and to grow with one another is so incredibly special, God. So today, I pray that our focuses are aligned to you, and we hear your word clearly, God, and as Brother Will comes and brings the message today, that we are just open and receptive, God, because we want to be a light in this dark world. We want to be the people that you called us to be, God, and we want to serve you and to make you proud. So Lord, help us to be able to grow in a really cool way today, God. We love you so much. Thank you so much for our church. In your name, amen. Uh, real fast, greet those around you real fast, and then we'll get right back into our worship. children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. 
we can literally rebuke the darkness, Satan, and say, uh-uh, I don't belong to you, I belong to God. Bound. 
when it didn't seem like you were there. I know you were, Father. I thank you for that. I thank you for your presence that is with us each and every day. All we have to do is ask. You're there to comfort and to guide and just to be there to fill us with you and your joy and your peace. Whatever we need, Father, you're there. Your goodness never fails us. Father, I, I just thank you for your spirit that I feel here in our midst. And I pray that you speak through Brother Will this morning and open our hearts. Speak to each of us and help us to just hear what you have to say that's just for us. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. 
Amen. I declare unto you that our God is good. Amen. He is good all the time. Give him a big hand, please. Again, we're delighted that you're here today on uh, September the 11th, 2022. How many of y'all remember, if you were alive, that is, how many of y'all remember where you were and what you were doing on Tuesday morning, September the 11th, 2001? Anybody, anybody remember that? Sure you do. The horrifying moments of terror that struck our nation on 9-11 and unfolded before us on a television like something from a disaster movie can never be erased from our memories. Commercial jet liners were hijacked and turned into deadly missiles. Who can ever forget the collapse of the twin towers of the World Trade Center, the attack on the Pentagon, the thousands who died? I don't know if you ever saw in person the twin towers of the World Trade Center, but if you looked up at those buildings before they were destroyed, they gave the illusion of invincibility. Gazing up at them made one marvel at what mankind was capable of building. And then look at this picture. I think you will all remember it in a moment. Just in a moment, those marvelous structures were destroyed and came tumbling down. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a little bit fascinated with skyscrapers and towers. They, they are a marvel to me. How anyone could design them and then build them, they, they are beautiful in the way they look and, and also give us a picture of, of some kind of majesty and safety. But you know what? We're not the only ones who are consumed with skyscrapers and towers. People in the biblical days were as well. And so here we are, 9-11-2022, and I want us to think back on towers, not the twin towers necessarily, but let's think about some towers that we find in the Word of God and make application to our day and time. I want to show you four towers in the Bible. The first one is in Genesis chapter 11. We read of mankind's first attempt to rise above the level of the earth in the building of this great tower. This is known as the Tower of Babel. Look at Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 4. It tells us now the whole earth had one language and one speech. I've been in foreign countries and I wish that were still the way it, it was, you know. It, it's hard to understand a language that you don't understand. How, how do you communicate? Well, back in this day, everyone spoke the same language. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, this is just after the flood, the great flood. And, and God commissions all of Noah's family to go out and disperse themselves across the earth. But then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the entire earth. Now, we know from the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 10, that the mastermind behind this project was a man who was violently anti-God in his attitude and his beliefs. His name was Nimrod. Now, that's kind of a weird-sounding name, isn't it? Uh, he was a great hunter in the land. His name, Nimrod, literally means rebel. One commentator says he is perhaps the first great prototype for the coming antichrist and he is the founder of the empire Babylon in what is now known as Iraq and in this story here in Genesis chapter 11 the building of the tower of Babel represents a massive act of rebellion against God in fact, there is no mention of God in this passage. In fact, if you really study Genesis chapter 10 and 11, these people were literally disobeying God. They didn't consult God. They didn't seek God's will. 
They determined to build for themselves a tower to make a name for themselves, a tower that would reach even into the heavens. Now, many commentators believe this building was intended to be a pagan temple in which Nimrod was going to institute pagan religious practices and worship false gods. And in saying that these city builders wanted to make a name for themselves, the writer of Genesis is implying that they attempted to find significance and immortality in their own achievements. They were literally building a tower for themselves. And the consuming factor of all of this was human pride. They were forgetting God and they were exalting themselves. Well, you, you know the end of this story, don't you? In Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says that God came down and when God came down, the tower came down. And then all these people started speaking a different language. They, they couldn't communicate or understand one another. And so what did they do? They did what God commanded them to do in the first place, and that is they dispersed and they filled the whole earth. God stopped their plans. God destroyed their tower. What lesson is in this story in Genesis chapter 11 for us? Well, I, I think for me it's, it's, it's a pretty plain lesson. We all try to build our own towers, whether it's a tower of fame or a tower of pride or a tower of popularity or a tower of wealth. We're all building our own tower. We're doing it for ourselves. But guess what? In the end, it's coming to confusion. In the end, our own towers that we build for ourselves are going to come crumbling down. Look at me, church. There is no safety in the tower that you build. Well, let's move from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible. Can, can you go that fast? Or are you willing to travel that far? Let's go from Genesis chapter 11 all the way to Revelation chapter 18. And in Revelation chapter 18, we have a description of the great city of the end times, the city of the Antichrist, the city codenamed Babylon, the city whose foundation was built by a man named Nimrod in Genesis chapter 11, a city with towers and buildings and skyscrapers such as the world undoubtedly has never seen before. Now what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 18 is a city of the future. It is the last great city on planet earth just before Jesus Christ comes again to redeem his church. This is the conclusion of the empire begun by Nimrod in Genesis chapter 11. Revelation chapter 18 describes the last great capital city in history, a city that will serve as the worldwide headquarters for the evil empire of the Antichrist. So you following me? This is the last city on planet Earth. And even though there is no mention in this biblical passage of towers, we know that the towers will be there. There will be skyscrapers. There will be great buildings. There will be towers. I, I could not help but think of this passage in Revelation chapter 18 when I watched this scene 21 years ago unfold before us in New York City. Y'all remember pictures like this? Where, where, where the smoke and ash fill all of, of New York City. You look across New York Harbor at the skyline of the city and the, the lower boroughs of Manhattan disappeared in the ash and the smoke of its own destruction 21 years ago. Other pictures like this, we, we see a fireman coming out of this ash and they're completely white. Remember those pictures? Well, when I saw those pictures, I thought of this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 18. And, and let me just read it to you. Your homework assignment is to go home and read all the chapter, okay? 
I'm just going to read a few verses, but it's worth your read this afternoon, Revelation chapter 18. Here's what verses 9 and 10 say. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her. Who is the her? Well, it's the city Babylon. They will weep and lament for her, for Babylon, when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and they cried out weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she is made desolate. Now, doesn't that sound just exactly like what you saw 21 years ago on Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001? As I stood and watched the television coverage, I felt just like we were seeing a preview of the terror of this approaching moment of the apocalypse just before our Lord Jesus Christ returns back to earth when the towers and the buildings and the spires of this last great city in our world will collapse amid the smoke of our own destruction. Lesson number two, I think we learned from the towers of Babylon. Nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. So whatever it is you're putting your hope in, it ain't going to make it. Because let me tell you something, friends. Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, this world will be destroyed by fire. And nothing will last. Nothing will remain. The towers that we trust in will be no more. But, but now I want to show you another passage which is extraordinarily relevant to our situation today. During the life and ministry of Jesus, two tragedies rocked the secluded little world of Israel. The, the first tragedy was political in nature. Pontius Pilate had unleashed his soldiers against a group of worshipers in Galilee. And the Bible story we're about to read says that these soldiers mingled the blood of the Galileans with the sacrifices that they were making. The second tragedy was akin to the one we faced on 9-11. There was a tall building, a tower as it was called, and it collapsed with significant loss of life. Not as great as the fatalities of 9-11, of course, but for that day and age, it was very significant, and it stunned the people. Now, I'm going to say this, we'll read it, and then I'm going to say it again. The people in Jesus' day had this concept in their mind. It, it was their way of thinking that if a tragedy befell you, if, if, if you found yourself in some kind of turmoil or tragedy, it was because you had messed up. There was something radically wrong in your life and God was paying you back for it. That was the way they thought back then. Not much has changed, has it? Because when we see bad things happening to people, we think naturally the same thing. Well, I wonder, I wonder what they did to deserve that. Okay? So thinking hasn't changed. We still think the same thing. Jesus didn't really respond like we think he should have responded. He, he didn't exactly say what we would have expected him to say. So let's just read this story in, in Luke chapter 13. 
Verse 1, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered this way. And yes, that is exactly what they were thinking. I tell you no, Jesus said, but unless you repent, you will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now again, let me just go back and reaffirm what I've already said. The people of our Lord's day felt that if something terrible happened to someone, it undoubtedly happened because they had sinned in some terrible or extreme way. And two times in this passage, Jesus refuted that. Jesus is saying, no, death and destruction, tragedy and heartache, they are just a part of life. I don't care who you are or when you live, you're going to face death and destruction. You're going to face tragedy and heartache. Why? Because that's the world we live in. And let me just back up and give you the big picture. The reason it is that way is because of Genesis chapter 3. We sinned. That's the problem. We've all sinned. We have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And left to ourselves, here's what's going to happen. We're all going to perish. When a tragedy befalls those around us, you know what it should be? It should be a wake-up call. We shouldn't be pointing fingers saying, well, I wonder what they didn't know. It should be a wake-up call for us to consider the brevity and the uncertainty of life and to direct our own hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can give us abundant life and eternal life. I'll never forget those days of September 11th, 2001. And what stands out as significant to me is the following Sunday... Our church was full. Anybody remember that? We we were over in the other building, and and I walked into that room that Sunday morning, and I was amazed. We were packed. People were sitting in there like sardines from the front of the church to the back of the church. Why? Because they realized the brevity of life. They were driven to God's house. 2,997 people died in the terrible attacks of 9-11. You know what? That was 21 years ago. Think of the thousands of people who have died since then. Literally thousands upon thousands of people have died in 21 years. And and, and what about those of us in this room? How many of you are still going to be here five months from now? And how many are going to be gone What what about five years from now? How how many of us will be gone? Fifty years from now, not many of you will be around to talk to me. (laughs) You know what? A hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. Why? Because every person of every generation perishes. It might be in a terrorist attack. It could be in World War III. It might be from an accident or from a disease. But the bottom line is we're all going to die. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to die. Now, people in the first service enjoy doing that. I don't think you're enjoying (laughs) doing that right now. You don't want me to talk about it, and we don't like to think about it, but it's going to happen. But, but, those who repent of their sins and those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and claim him as Lord of their lives will have eternal life.
And even though these outward bodies will perish and be put into the ground, our real bodies, our soul, our spirit, the real you will live forever in heaven with Jesus Christ. How do I know that? The Bible tells me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Jesus backed that up by saying, unless you repent, you will perish. What does it mean to repent? Well, I can tell you this, it doesn't mean to just feel sorry for the way you've lived. Judas Iscariot felt sorry for having betrayed Jesus. He felt remorse and he felt guilt, but he didn't really repent. To repent means to feel sorry enough to do something about it. It means that you confess your sins before God. It means that you stop living the way you were living. It means that you stop doing the things that you used to do, to stop saying the things that you have been saying, to stop living the way that you used to be living. It involves changing your mind, changing your behavior. It involves changing your attitude. And you might say in rebuttal to me, but preacher, I've tried and I can't. No, you can't. You can't do it on your own. You can't change on your own. But did you know the Bible says with God, things all, with God all things are possible? And with God's help, you can change. I remember reading about the conversion of this radio evangelist who is one of my heroes in faith, Michael Guido. He's, he's gone now, but he, he used to have this little uh, program called Seeds from the Sower just life lessons, and he, he was such a delight to listen to. So sometimes I'll just go on YouTube and, and pull up one of those Seeds from the Sower broadcast and listen to Michael Guido. He, he tells of when he got saved. His mother came to Christ first, and she started praying for her family, especially her husband. He, he was a heavy drinker, an alcoholic. And when he found out she had been saved, he got so mad and so angry that he threatened to divorce her and then he beat her and told her she better not ever go back to church. You know what? She went back to church and she took her kids with her. And one by one, those children gave their hearts to Jesus as well. On the Sunday that they were going to church to be baptized, the old man got drunk as he could be he threatened his wife, he beat his children, and then he locked all of the doors from the inside, put the keys in his pocket, and he fell asleep on the couch. She sneaked over and pulled those keys out of his pocket. They unlocked the door and ran out of the house and walked to church. Michael later recounted the story and remembered when they reached the corner of 23rd and Broadway. He said that the sun beamed through the buildings and the light hit his mother's face. And he looked at his mama and he saw pain on her face like he had never seen before. She had a weak heart and he worried about his mother. Ma, he said, with your heart trouble, the doctor said the least bit of excitement could bring on an attack. And when we get home, I know Paul's going to beat us unmercifully. Do we have to go through with this? Can't we be secret Christians? Can't we be silent believers? Ma, do we have to go all the way? And she stopped her children and said, Kids, we're going all the way or not at all. Michael Guido later said that he never forgot that lesson. The importance of going all the way with Jesus. I wonder if someone here, someone in this group today, someone of you needs to go all the way with Jesus this morning. I wonder if there's someone in this place that, that needs to tell Jesus, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind. I wonder if somebody here today needs to come and repent of your sins 
and go all the way with the Lord. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But that brings me to the fourth tower I'd like to show you. It's found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. This is, this is really the verse that this entire message stems from. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. It's the name of the Lord. Do you know the Bible says that at the name of the Lord, you can be saved? You just speak his name, and he can change your life. And I affirm to you today, church, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You need to be running to it to find safety. One of the most heart-tearing things I heard from the terrorist attack 21 years ago is the tape recording of a woman by the name of Melissa Hughes. She was in the World Trade Center. She worked on the 101st floor of the North Tower. She called her husband. They had just celebrated their one-year anniversary, and you could hear the fear in her voice as she left this message on the voicemail. She said, I'm up in the tower, honey, and we've been hit by a plane or a bomb has gone off. I don't know if I can get out of here. There's a lot of smoke And I just want you to know that I love you always. No doubt when she went to work that morning, the lobby of that great building was gleaming. There is no doubt the elevators were zipping smoothly from one floor to another. There is no doubt that her office on the 101st floor was plush and comfortable. There is no doubt that her view out that window was incredible. But in five minutes, none of that mattered. It wasn't a safe place anymore. It became a place of terror and death. And church, I want you to hear this. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no safe places. The strongest and most powerful structures that human beings build are never, ever really safe. There is no security in any tower that is built on earth. And there is no security in the tower that you're trying to build for yourself. There's no security in the tower of fame or in the tower of wealth or in the tower of popularity or even in the tower of beauty. There is no place on earth where we are truly safe from sudden death and destruction. Oh, there is one place. There's one place of safety. That is in the towering cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are safe. And so today, with everything inside of me, I'm pleading with you, make a mad dash for that tower today. Run to that tower of safety. Run to the Lord. Run to the cross. It's the only place of safety and of eternal security in times like we're living in. Oh, I'll never forget Tuesday, September 11th. 2001. I'd left early that morning. I was driving to Moore, Oklahoma. We had a Hillsdale trustee board meeting, which is now Randall University. And, and I had the radio off, so I was oblivious to what was going on in, in our world. I, I remember pulling into the state office parking lot and getting out of my car and walking to the, the boardroom that we always met in. I expected to see fellow board members and pastors and friends, but no one was in that room. I thought, this is strange. I heard voices in the adjacent office, and so I walked into there, and there were all my preacher friends standing, looking, staring at a TV, and there I saw for the first time that morning the Twin Towers on fire. I didn't even have to ask what happened. 
It was pretty clear what happened. That was the most somber board meeting I've ever sat in. President Cheshire didn't hold us long. He said, you, you, you folks need to get home, and, and we did need to get home. I made it home on fumes. They had already gouged the gas prices and went up to $7 a gallon everywhere. You know what, Freddie, the only thing I could think of is getting home to 905 Cary Lane. I mean, I, d I didn't know what was going to happen next. Was Fort Smith on the list? Were, were terrorists in our backyard waiting to attack us? I, I got a funny story about that next Sunday. Remember the Sunday after 9-11? I told you the, the church was full. Remember I told you that? Halfway through my message, a guy came in the back door right over in this other building, and he had this white robe on, and he looked bad. I mean, he looked bad. And I noticed him out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, we got a terrorist just walked in our building. No lie, he looked like a terrorist. Long hair, long beard, a white robe on? Are you serious? I know the people back in the back were somewhat uncomfortable. Anybody remember that? Were you sitting back there? Yeah, you remember. I was freaking out. Ron, I was freaking out preaching. I was thinking, Lord Jesus, please help us. What's going to happen here? I hope Ron's packing today. Before I could give the invitation, that guy came running to the altar. He wasn't a terrorist. He had just gotten out of the hospital. He was still in a white robe. He ran to the altar. I tell you what, my, my mind on that Tuesday, just to get home, what, what was going to happen next? I, I needed to be with my family. I, need, I needed to be with my wife. I needed to, to embrace my three babies. N not that I could protect them, but I was going to do everything I could to protect them. I ran home. You need to run to the Lord today. You need to come to Him for security. You need to bring your problems to Him. Why do bad things happen to good people? Like It's just because of the world we live in. But you know what? Bad things do happen to you. What do you do when bad things happen? You need to bring them to the Lord. So run to him this morning. Be like that guy in the white robe before I can say amen. Get up here. Because there is safety in the name of the Lord. Would you call out on his name today? Would you come to him for salvation? Will you repent of your sins and find forgiveness in Jesus? He is the only tower that you can find safety in. Run to him. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would happen right now. Help us to come to the incomparable name of Jesus this morning. Help us to find our safety and salvation in the name of Jesus today. Lord, for those who need to repent of their sins, may they come and do so. For those, dear Lord who need to bring their problems and cares and burdens and lay them at your cross, may they do so. Help us, dear Lord, to come to you and find refuge and safety in the tower of your name. I love you so much, Lord. I'm thankful, dear Jesus, for the grace that you've given to us. Help us during this time of invitation to find our security in you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? And would you come? Come to Jesus. Come to him now.
Do you need to come? Come on. Come now as they sing. not only sing of the goodness of God, we testify to his goodness and grace today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our strong tower. Thank you for being our refuge and our strength. And help us to daily run into that tower of safety, which is the name of the Lord. Lord, for those in our church who are grieving, I pray comfort. Be with Scott McMillan and his family. Be with Larry Faulkner and his family over the loss of loved ones. Lord, for all of us who are dealing with life problems, may we find strength and refuge in you. Lord, we love you so much, and we can never adequately say thank you enough for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do. So, Lord, accept our gratitude. I thank you for these people, and I pray a blessing in their lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated just for a moment. I have a few things I want to share with you. I'm not real good at reading cards because I can't hardly see anything anymore, but let me, let me read this for you. Dear church family, uh, my family and I would like to thank you uh, all for the prayers as we traveled this past week to say our last goodbyes to the patriarch of our family. We would also like to give thanks to God for bringing us together one last time to honor my grandfather's legacy. His nearly 98 years of life was a blessing to us all. He never wanted for anything. He lived for his family, and now God has rewarded him richly in heaven. Thank you again, Kavanaugh Church family, our church for life, Marisol, Stephen, and the entire family. And guys, we're still praying for you as well. One other card, this is uh, addressed to Kavanaugh Church family. There are no words adequate enough to express the gratitude our family has felt for the outpouring of prayers, encouraging words, food, and beautiful flowers. The love that has been shown to us during our loss has sustained and helped fill a huge void in our hearts. In times like these, it is so evident how important all of us are to each other. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ above all, and may he bless Kavanaugh Church community abundantly for your love and kindness. Love, Brian, Jennifer, Brianna, and Ben Brooks. Love you guys as well. I tell you, I, I have no idea what people do who don't have the Lord in their life and a family of believers to support them. And I want to talk here in just a second about our family of faith and how we can get more involved. Uh, before I do that, let me, let me just say a word. Uh, be sure and pray for James Henry Christian. Uh, James grew up in our church. His, his, uh, his dad plays the drums in this service. Uh, his mom and dad are in Oklahoma City because tonight James Henry is going to be ordained into the gospel ministry. He graduated from Randall University and now he serves as children's pastor of the Summit Free Will Baptist Church. So Brother Johnny and I are going to get to go and help ordain James Henry. There, there's five people on this ordaining council. His pastor named Mitch, a guy named Bob Thompson, a guy named Mason Polk, Brother Johnny and myself. So four out of the five are Kavanaugh people, and, uh, and we're ordaining a Kavanaugh boy. And I'm so proud of James Henry. So pray for him and uh, pray for us as we travel. When you walk out today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. And when you walk out in the lobby, I know you, you saw it when you came in, we have all these tables set up, uh, 17 different tables for our new C groups that are about to begin here at Kavanaugh Church. 
Let, let me just very quickly say this. Church is about two things. Church is about the, the big celebration we have when we all come in here and worship like we're doing right now. I love this part of our church, don't you? I love coming together as the family of faith, worshiping God publicly. But that's the big group setting. We need more than that. We need a small group where we can connect and do life. Learn the Word of God together, love one another, pray for one another, be involved in each other's lives. And that's what these C groups are about. They are actually replacing our old Bible studies that we had on Sunday nights here at the church. We're calling them C groups, Kavanaugh groups. And they're going to meet all over creation, okay? It's an eight-week commitment you're signing up for, okay? It's going to start the last week of this month and go through the week of the 13th of November. Then we're going to take a break during the holidays and C groups will begin again at the beginning of next year for that spring semester. So you're not signing up for a group that you're going to have to spend the rest of your life with. It's only an eight-week deal that we're getting into right now. Uh, we've got lessons that we have written. Uh, I'll be preaching a sermon on Sunday mornings about our core values that are hanging on the wall out there. And then in your C group, you're going to go a little bit deeper into the Word of God and study that particular core value that week. Now, if you notice the tables, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, we have the, the name of the people who are the hosts, who are hosting the group, and where that group is going to meet. Some of them are going to meet up here at the church. Others are going to meet in their home. Others are going to meet at an off-site location like a restaurant. I don't know what you'd be doing meeting at a restaurant, but some are going to. That, that's the one I think. No, I'm not going to say that. But. So they're all over the place and on different days of the week, some on Sunday, some Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So you find the one that you can best plug into and be involved in for eight weeks and sign up for that group. If you're not ready to sign up today, pick up one of their cards. We've got a card on each table that tells, the again, the host, the, the place where they're going to meet, and the time of week they're going to meet. And you can just take as many cards as you want, lay it out on your table, pray over them until God gives you direction which one to join. But next Sunday, we want you to be signed up to a group and ready to participate. Did I do okay, Miss Angie? Did I? Did I cover everything? Miss Angie helped put all that together out there. Doesn't it look good? Give Miss Angie a big hand. She, she works hard around here. We're so proud of her. We will have the lessons prepared by Wednesday night, the 21st. Everybody's going to get a copy of the, of the lessons we're going to be studying. So it's just going to be a fantastic time, okay? So that's today. Next Sunday, we're going to do the, the C Group Fair again. But next Sunday is Back to Church Sunday. So we're encouraging everybody to get back in church. Summer's over with, school's back in session, we need to be back in church. So look around, if there's somebody that you don't see here, call them this week, say, hey, come next Sunday, it's back to church Sunday, we're going to have a great day. We're going to be baptizing, so if you haven't been baptized, you need to be, see me or one of the pastors, we'll get you signed up. Then, next Sunday night, from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, it's back to church bash time. We're going to have a bash. This whole area, this parking lot out here in the grass between us and the creek there that divides us in harvest time, this whole area is going to be filled up with a carnival. Literally, it's going to be a carnival. We've hired a, a carnival specialist to come in and set up all these big air things and games and not just for little kids, for you old people too. All the food you can eat, eat cotton candy till you're sick at your stomach. It's just going to be a fantastic night from 5 to 7. In, in fact, if you would like to sign up to help, we've got some uh, iPads out there, and you can sign up to give us a hand because we're going to need some help next Sunday night manning all of these inflatables and, and the dunk booth. We're going to have a dunking booth. Yeah, Brother Dewey's going to be in it. I know that. I've already asked him. I'm looking for some of you that I might recruit for the, 
for the Duncan booth. Some of y'all need to get wet, that's for sure. It's going to be a great, if you'd like to sign up to help, make sure that you do that and then be praying that we have just a, an awesome time. That next Sunday, the 25th, is when we'll kick off our C groups. And I can't wait. It's going to be revolutionary for our church. So go by the booths, look at all the tables and the people there, and find yourself a good C group to get involved with. Are we good? Everybody good? Are you happy? Do you know it? Say amen. Amen. Well, good. that sounds good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me too. Get out of here. Y'all have a great day.